You are listening to Metrics and Chill, a podcast about business metrics and the interesting ways that people improve them. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Metrics and Chill. Today, my guest is Tommy Walker. Tommy is the founder of a content marketing agency called WalkerBots Content Studios. But before that, he's worked in marketing and content in a variety of different roles at companies like QuickBooks, Shopify Plus, Conversion XL, just to name a few. I actually met Tommy for the first time, I don't know, 2014-ish maybe, when he would host this show called Page Fights with Ali Gardner of Unbounce and Pep from CXL way back in the day. I told Tommy right before we got on that a lot of feelings used to get hurt on that web show. And um, <laughs> so that's when I first met Tommy. And it's it's great to, to reconnect and, and have you here on the show. So welcome, Tommy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's thecontentstudio.com, though. That's the website now. So Thecontentstudio.com. That's a good the domain. Thecontentstudio.com. That's a good yeah. domain. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, so Tommy's actually going to talk to us today about return visitors and mm-hmm. some of the things that he's done to improve return visitors. Why is this even important? And then he's just going to kind of walk us through some of the results that he's seen and how he's measured that. So just to lead off, Tommy, like why is return visitors important in the first place? Sure. So I've always worked in a B2B context. And um, in in that case, all B2B, most B2B is on a long sales cycle. And especially with content marketing, I found that, you know, when you're trying to get into that consideration phase, right, where because you're in that long sales cycle, if you're able to get more return visitors or your return visitors are coming back over and over again, they might be getting information from other folks too. But if they're coming back to you like a ton, then what I found is that it can also t- uh, take the time to sale. It can cut that down in half. Um, and it makes sense, right? From a psych- psychological standpoint, you spend more time with me. You're trying to get your problem solved. I continue to solve your problem through good content. Um, and and then eventually you go, you know what? It's a no-brainer. The 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 choice to go with me is is it makes it just makes sense versus right. anyone else. So you're you're invested. So right, and it it makes sense. It's it's it feels obvious, right? Like especially for B two B brands, some of the even higher ticket ones. You're mm-hmm. likely not going to convert on the very first visit, right? But it's also not something I feel like a lot of marketers think a lot about is return visitors. Right. The, the focus is on drive traffic, generate signups, and return yep. visitors is one of those metrics that's almost like cool to look at. But I like how the way you think about it and, and how you connect all the dots. So, and I know you've you've worked on this metric for a variety of different clients at a variety of companies that you worked at. So like, how do you go about identifying this opportunity to begin with when you're at a company? Are you doing a deep dive and an audit of like their GA data and you see that return visitors is low and you correlate that to conversion rates in some way. Like how do you actually identify this metric specifically as being like, this is something we should focus on improving. Sure. And it's exactly what you just said, right? You're looking at it, you see, Hey, this, this would be a considerably long sales cycle. What's your sales cycle look like if you've got your analytics in place and you're seeing how long it takes to get to a certain sales point. I see that correlation of, you know, well, you've only got like a 4% return visitor rate. So no wonder it's taking people forever to convert. So if we increase uh, return visitor rate, then we might be able to see, and I've seen this happen before with with a previous company that I've worked for. If we increase the return visitor rate, can we decrease the amount of time it takes to get to sale? 
and therefore doubling the amount of sales that you can get because people are like they're, they're converting at a their time is taking less time but they're converting at a higher rate or there's they're converting faster right um and what that generally relates to and i come from a filmmaking background i graduated from a film film conservatory and uh, things like that when I was growing up. I was and naturally you got into B2B content. <laughs> yeah, yeah, naturally, naturally. Um, well, what, I, what happened was when I started getting into marketing, I saw a lot of correlations because this screen you and I are talking on right now and even, you know, people listening to this, it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship, right? Um, this is a very intimate uh, environment. We might think of it as marketers to talking to a broad group of people, but in reality, it's just you, me, and the person on the other side of the headphones here. Um, and what I found as a content marketer was that the better the information that you're putting out there, the better story that you're telling overall in the broad picture, the more people are going to want to return. And that's the depth of a single piece or the depth and quality of the publication that you're looking at as a whole. Um, so, uh, I, when I look at increasing return visitors, what it really ultimately comes down to, and it's the same thing for everybody in a bunch of different areas. It's just where I focus on, it's the quality of the content that people are looking at. Right. Um, if I were to liken this to movies, one of my favorite movies is fight club. Right. And it's because on the first viewing, you have this like surface level understanding of what's going on. And then the twist happens and then everything goes down and you're like, I have to watch that again. You there's so much stuff that you saw and you enjoyed that first time around. But then you're starting to look for those little nuances and details. Right. And when we look at these bigger pictures, like you see um, you, when you and I talked before, it was like the stuff that Brian Dean puts out there where it's like the state of content marketing reports and B2B content marketing. There's so much information there that it's useful on your first time around, but when you want to go pull info from that, you go back and you pull that sure. information and you continue to learn from that same piece yeah. over and over and over again. And then when he does the next one, you're like, I gotta do this, I gotta listen. Right. It's the same thing with your, your LinkedIn posts. I can't, like, I stop what I'm doing when I see a, a John post and go like, all right, I gotta read this, what's going on? <laughs> you know, and then the more people did that, the more people sign up for your Patreon and sure. like, you see what I'm saying? And sure, now they're yeah. giving you money every month. And that, and it's it's uh, the same idea. And that makes sense. So like when you're coming in, though, whether that's for a client or, you know, when when you're contracting for a new co company or when you've worked at different companies in the past, is there a benchmark that you're looking for? Is it like this is, you know, what are you looking at first? You're looking at conversion rate and, and seeing, OK, this can be higher. The first thing I'm going to do is look at return visitors. Or are you yep. looking at return visitors first? And is there a specific benchmark there that's either high or low? Obviously, it can be different. There's variables there. But what specifically are you looking at in the data when you're working with someone new? Sure. So best thing I ever learned from Pep was start closest to the money, right? And that's anybody in CRO, they're going to tell you start closest to the money. So I'll look at the conversion rate for sure. And then I'll work backwards from, okay, I'll take a look at the return visitor rate, uh, you know, over here and see what's kind of happening on that side of the house. But it's not super important in the very beginning because the next thing I'm looking at is time on page, right? And if you have, you know, if you have the, the metrics in, or the tools in place, maybe heat maps, right? And let's start seeing how far down the page people are going, scroll depth. And you start looking at these things and you're getting this bigger picture idea of, how good a piece of content is 
based on just the, the quantitative data that you can see. When you start looking at that qualitatively and going like, am I missing anything from this piece? Is, are there still questions that I have as I'm going through this? Then you start to look at, then I'm looking at that return visitor rate and going, oh, okay, that makes, this starts to make a little bit more sense. And I can look at that on the micro level, obviously with a single piece, but then I start looking at it from the macro level of like, well, let's look at all these other pieces, right? Right. And I have to think about it on these cases of, you know, it's all contextual too, right? You have pages that are obviously there for the one and done. Let's get the question out. Like I've answered your question. It's completely transactional versus the ones that require you to sort of pull you in and understand and learn a little bit more. Um, so that's really, I mean, I hope that answers the question. You start on yeah, the micro it sounds level, like Yeah, it sounds like there's leading indicators the there, scroll depth, time on page. And my guess would be if those things are low, chances are your return visitor rate is also going to be low, right? If people aren't right. engaging with the content while they're on the site for very long or they're not scrolling and reading a lot of it, you're, you're probably reviewing that data and thinking, okay, the return visitor rate is probably an issue here. If we can somehow improve the content, improve the depth of it, add more research, whatever those elements are, we could probably lift all of these things, scroll depth, time on page, and as a result, increase return visitors. So you're really looking at some of those leading indicators first. In this case, return visitors is almost a lagging indicator. You're looking at scroll depth, time on page, and you're probably getting an idea then, okay, this might be an issue or this might be a strength. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I kind of talked about my film background for a minute, looking at that and having a background in script analysis and finding subtext and reading between the lines and all of that information really helps when it comes to looking at the quality of a piece and kind of the stories that are being told as you're looking through it. So, yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately we, we, when we started talking, it was the, the true star metric, the true North metric I'm looking at is return visitors because of where I'm trying to go with it ultimately. But yeah, I guess it's a lagging indicator based on these other uh, pieces where it tells me, yeah, is, is this a good piece of content? Right. You could either look at it as, you know, at an aggregate level. Is the time on page across the blog high, low, improving? Uh, is it getting worse? And that could kind of maybe give you an idea. Um, right. And I, I also don't think so. I don't. I don't think there's a marketer who would argue that return in, in, increasing return visitors would be a bad thing, right? Or that, right. Uh, or, or wouldn't agree that it's it's a good thing. But like, I feel like the question really comes down to like, how do you do that, right? I, I think marketers are, a, you know, adept at driving new traffic, right? Publish new content, right. distribute it across all of our channels. We're measuring traffic. We're measuring signups. We're measuring those conversion rates. But when it comes to return visitors. It's kind of tricky to say, okay, well, how do we get people to come back? Yeah, you can email your list, right? Your subscribers, that seems like an easy way. Um, But I would think that there's probably diminished returns there because those people likely are coming back anyway. So like, how do you actually, or what have you done in the past to actually improve return visitors? Sure. So it's all about feedback loops, right? Um, When I was at Shopify Plus, we would have, we had a policy to do a case study every week. But we wouldn't look at the case study, right? And I'll, I'll really, this is a roundabout way of getting to the answer, but we wouldn't look at the case studies as, you know, company X works with company Y and sees Z results. Obviously, we know since you're publishing with us that company X is working with company Y. So let's get that out of the way. 
Instead, what I want to understand is that sort of we took we took the approach. I said, let's approach these like a Rolling Stone interview. What led to the problem? Not what was the problem itself, but what led to the problem? And you get some really interesting stories out of that. And by doing that, we were able to connect with the with the customers on a very, very deep level, right, where they would start to trust us in a, a little bit more than that. And what we would get is that that indication from them of, you know, what are these things that are speaking to the soul of the entrepreneur, if you will. Um, and then we could incorporate that stuff back in. So it's not straightforward. It's not as straightforward as like, you know, you do this, you know, pull the lever and get the survey from the email list. I mean, that's part of it. But it's an ongoing feedback loop of having these conversations with real people, which is something we ultimately lose sight with, especially as companies get bigger or you have less access to the customer itself. But if you're able to have those conversations on a regular basis, then great, because you can get that one-on-one -on -one feedback. Other than that, you're having to start looking at things like social media conversations, even stuff that you're not particularly participating in. You have to look at comment sections and really try to read between the lines on those um, and get a sense of what the community itself is saying. I have automations set up right now that are for people who are sharing my content as well as my competitors' content to get a sense of not what are they sharing of mine necessarily, but what's the broader conversation that they're taking a part of. Right? And how what does that help? Other like how, how does that tie back to return visitors? You just work that sure. into, does that narrative and that sure. sense of empathy help in terms of building yeah. a community and getting people to come back? Yeah. So what I'm, what I do when I'm looking at that is I'm looking at all the other stuff that they're looking at. I'll read what you're reading. Right. Sure. And if I can read what you're reading and I get a sense of, because again, I have that script analysis background, the, the structure and the story and the sort of depth of information, those other things you're reading are, are standing out to you. I can then package my message, like package the message itself in the sort of wrapper that these other things are, these other places are grabbing your attention. So start looking at, you know, headline styles, for example, what are their subheader styles like? What, you know, what are the, how often are they inserting graphics? Are they irreverent or are they, you know, uh, graphs like graph heavy and, and stuff like that, right? How can I take what I know about the stuff that you're sharing and then incorporate that into what I'm doing, but then do that a little bit better? And then as a result, when you get that traffic, you're, you're, you're fitting in and standing out at the same time. Does that make sense? You're fitting in with their expectations of what good content is and the stuff that they already share. Right. That's what you mean by fitting in. Exactly. But then you're also standing out because you're creating content that's worth sharing to begin with and might be worth coming back to the website. Exactly. Can you give me an example? I mean, I, 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 it all makes sense. Can you give me an example of, and you mentioned Shopify Plus, like what would be an example of someone when you said like, what led to this problem, like how you would take that and spin that into a piece of content that was distributed in a way that would drive people back. Sure. Let me see if I can think of something off the top of my head here. Um, so there was a story. So we did this because we were publishing case studies like this, Rolling Stone interview studies like this every week. That in itself was attractive to the people who were tuning in on a regular basis, right? And I say tuning in because it very much was like television programming. You get a new personal story every week. Some of these stories were, and that was the reason why a lot of people would return in the first place, because you get that sense of like when you watch TV and not binge watch TV, right? You have that sort of narrative that's happening. Um, 
let's see. How, how can I answer this question best for you, John? Um, I don't know. How can I answer this question better, best for you? Because <laughs> I've kind of lost I've kind of lost my thought here. I mean, yeah. Do you have do you have an example or, or it could just be like how that could work? Like sure. what kind so, of answer are you looking for there when you're asking what led to a specific problem rather than just the problem itself, like you were saying before, which is what most case studies are built on problem, sure. solution, results. You're right. going a step deeper and asking for what led to the problem. How do you then use that to do everything you just said and basically create a piece of content that's going to be returnable? Let's make up a new word. Sure. <laughs> so so let's, let me give you an example of one of my favorite stories. Um, and I was just revisiting this the other day, so it's particularly uh, apparent. So there was, if I were to look at this from a standard perspective, the story would be this customer's uh, server room was on fire and therefore they realized they couldn't have that happen again. So they moved to a cloud service and now they're seeing these results, right? Right. What led up to the customer or to the server room being on fire was the guy was at his bachelor party and it was like three o'clock in the morning, right? So put yourself in the frame of mind of what somebody at a bachelor party at three o'clock in the morning would be like, <laughs> and then these other things start happening, right? right? When, I, when I was at Shopify Plus, I had the excellent opportunity to work with Nick Winkler, um, who still does some work with Shopify Plus, and he was an, uh, an Emmy award-winning journalist. And what he was able to do was to get to those hearts of, hearts of those stories. We would learn that when it came to logistics, there was, there were, you know, when it came to 3PLs, right, and wanting to get into a 3PL, a third-party logistics, the reason they wanted to do that was because when they didn't have that and they were running their own warehouses, there was somebody in the warehouse doing blow, right? I don't know if that's something I can say on here, but right. like <laughs> there was somebody in the warehouse like causing problems and like, you know, doing things they weren't supposed to do. So they figured let's take away the environment and the opportunity and put it somewhere else so we don't have to deal with like all of the cost, like all of the compliance issues that might come up with stuff like that. Right. So, so when it comes to telling those stories, it's not just company X, company Y, Z results. It's like, here's what's going on inside the company and like what led to them wanting to work with us. But also like, let's get the human element of what it is that they're trying to do. And that is something that makes it returnable because it's something, you know, at the time um, we were looking at you know, I was the first marketing hire over there. So I had to look at what all the different people in the market were doing. So we had like the Magentos and the Demandwares and all of these other uh, established competitors. And I looked at what they were all doing and said, how can I not be them? How do I differentiate from that? And everybody, everybody still does that X, Y, Z. And I figure if we go into this from that completely different perspective, it's a much more interesting story. We're going to get like we had one problem. The first case study we went to publish, the guy we talked to, <clears throat> we ended up not running the case study because the guy we talked to was way more self-aggrandizing in the story that he told that his founders were mad at him as a result of that. But <laughs> the, the converse of that is that we also told a case. We did a case study that became the narrative for a company who ended up going to win a Super Bowl commercial. So like. So we were able to get these narratives and these like origin stories out of people and it became something that was incredibly interesting just on its own to come back to. You come back because you know that that's the type of thing 
that you're going to get. It's that expectation. It's the reason why in its prime you would go to AMC every week and watch Mad Men or Breaking Bad or, you know, like those big tentpole shows. Because you wanted to tune in to see the next one, right? Right, exactly. So so again, you're essentially what you're doing is you're, do you're creating a bingeable piece of content. Yeah. But actually, no, it's the opposite of that. You can't sit down and read 15 case studies. You're going to drip one a week. So it's the old school right. episodic, you know, tune in at right. Thursday night at eight o'clock to watch the new episode of Friends type of thing. Right. Pretty and much. by creating a really great, in-depth, well-researched, empathetic article, you're bet the team's bet was that people are going to keep coming back to read these and it's a case study on top of it so uh and obviously it aligns well not with with case studies too we did this with like okay so we'd have at the top of the month i structure my calendar entirely like a four-act play because that's just how that works that's how story structure works and then break each month down into or each quarter down into a theme and then each month into a theme and then each week in something leading up to something else. So we might look at the the first article of the week, right? The two concepts are TV programming and cinematic universe. Um, we might look at that first article that we publish in a week on how to create a good website, for example, right? And you break down all of the elements of a really good website. The next week on that same day, we're coming back with how to optimize navigation. The next week might be how to do a really good hero image. After that, it's how do we get headlines, right? What do you do with really solid headlines? Product copy, you know, all the way down to microcopy and calls to action. And that way, you're getting a much bigger story over the course of that month. You might not even realize why you're tuning back in, right? right? If you're a part of it, you might not realize why you're tuning back in, but you're getting this sequential set of information. Well, and what was and the what, you, what was the most effective channel at actually com- getting those new was it email? Like so when you're publishing these every week, social and email feel like they would be like the natural performers there. Yeah, social email and direct. You know, I care like one of the metrics and I care about very different metrics than most content marketers, but like I care about direct very deeply because sure. then I know someone's going it's brand recognition at that point. Yeah. Or we didn't set our UTMs up properly, but we didn't have that problem. <laughs> um no, no one ever has that problem. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, no, it would mostly be, it would mostly be like, I'd love to have direct because I want people typing stuff in, you know, especially when it comes to very specific URLs, I know they're coming back because of what we put into that in the first place. And it's very much a gut instinct thing at that point, which is very opposite to like, right. let's have a scientific metric to it. But at the same time, when I know that this is the overall approach that we're trying to take, then it, it sort of it starts to really tell a, a bigger story of what it is that we're trying to do. So tell me about tell me about results here, and specifically, I'm curious about Shopify Plus. It sounds like you mentioned in the uh, in the lead up to this episode, in the notes that you shared, at one point there was a 60% return yep. visitor rate, and a lot of that you would attribute to the projects the you were just I'm outlining, right right? Yeah, the yeah, case yeah. studies, the knowledge the knowledge base articles. So just talk about that. Like, how did you, how did you measure that? What did that actually mean for the organization? Sure. So the hard part about Shopify plus is that we didn't have a whole lot of attribution stuff set up, right? Um, it was very early days. I was the first marketing hire over there. I was employee number 14 at Shopify plus, like as a whole, I was there for the first 1500 customers or something like that. So attribution was a very difficult, difficult thing. Um, overall. So when we were looking at like 
the email list, for example, we didn't necessarily know where those email, you know, where those, what pages people were coming from or anything like that. So that's actually a really terrible, I don't have a really good answer for that. Right. Um, just because of how early days it was, they're in a much better spot now. They have all sure. the attribution that you could ever imagine. Um, but when we were at, when I was at QuickBooks, we had a very different story there where we were able to see like, you know, like I said before, we were able to measure, you know, if we cut the amount of, or if we increase the return on visitors on this particular page, we were able to cut the amount of time to conversion in half. And it was like across the board, we were able to see these sort of correlations of, yeah, increase the visitors, cut the time in half, increase the amount of conversions that are happening because people are coming back to it more. So right. I wish I had a better answer for you that when it comes to Shopify, it was just too early then to, to say that we had everything, all of our stuff together at the time. But I mean, 60% return visitor rate seems good. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know. Like, is there, is there a specific, I know like there's a lot of variables there, but is there, is there a benchmark people should be looking at? Like, uh, 50% um, good. I mean, 60% sounds really good. Like what should you be looking at there? I would say better than what you're already doing. Um, <laughs> that's one that's of always the answer, right? <laughs> do, do a little bit better than you're already, already doing. Um, no, a lot of it is a lot of SEOs, um, and content marketers. We're looking at creating that new content all the time, right? The problem with that is at a certain point you've you've talked all about your you've covered all the topics you're going to have diminishing returns you can't talk about much more so you know content marketers are talking about refreshes and stuff like that to increase the rank but if you're able to look at you know increasing the depth of the knowledge that you're putting in there right it's all about taking what you already have and making it better right and thinking about what would the next logical click be in this how do i how do I get people hooked and wanting to come back? Right. It's not right. just a matter of let me put a let me put a blog post out and then see what happens. It's it's really more of like an energy thing, which is right. a very strange thing to say on a on a metrics podcast, a data podcast, but it really is making sure that you're digging just a little bit bit beyond what the surface level stuff is and going beyond that. It's what you say about keywords, right? Keywords right. aren't the keywords are might be the topic, but they're not the angle. Yeah, right. right. It's not the story. What so many content, yeah, and what content marketers are afraid to do in a lot of cases, and it's a lot of it has to do with the business itself that they're a part of, but is taking a point of view, taking a perspective, and putting that into it to really make it as unique and stand out as possible. Um, and I think if people are doing what you're what you're talking about there, where it is have an angle, you know, and actually like put that effort into the content, not just about getting it out there on the page, but really digging deep beyond the surface metric so that you see on every other blog post that's out there, sure. right? Understand the why behind those metrics. That was one of the things at Conversion XL I always tried to look at was, okay, I could throw a bunch of facts at the wall at you all day long, but if I'm not looking at like the behavioral psychology behind that, right? If I don't understand the why those metrics exist, those numbers are going to change and my reader is right. not going to know why. Right. But so what was the, that, what was the last like big success story you had? Like, was it with a client in, in terms of return visitors? Like what, uh, what's something that comes to mind? I have, I have a favorite one. I wouldn't say it was my best. I, I wouldn't say it's my best or the most recent, but my favorite is, um, why simple websites are scientifically better. And I was an old one, I converged in Excel right. and it's one that had quite a bit of return visitors. And the reason why I, I like that one the best um, overall was that 
we had, you know, there's, there's always the opinion that people have of why, uh, why these websites are better. But what I got into in that piece, um, the science behind it were things like visual information processing theory, right? And the amount of working memory that a person has and how information, uh, how the brain receives information, right? These principles are going to be universal, right? The people's eyes are always going to receive information in a very similar way. People's brains are only going to be able to have a working memory that can have like between five and bit, five and nine bits of information that they're holding at a time. So if you're able to on every fold, right, every scroll only present what's necessary and no more then then that starts to correlate to some of the other data that you see that's out there. Right. Um, and the other part about that that's interesting is that it varies per age group, right? And this makes sense for an older age group. You might want to have slightly bigger text because we're old and myopic and, you know, can't see as well. Um, for a younger audience, you might want to have a little bit more going on because they're used to having the world being more stimulating. So, so seeing that difference between all of these and breaking it really down and saying like, here's why that's, that's one that I saw get linked to quite a bit. I watched one day I got it. I watched it actually get shared, like doing real time in GA. I watched it go around the world, which was pretty cool um, because it was getting shared a lot over social. And we would see the, the correlation between, you know, where it was, all those social followers, and then how it was moving around. Um, but yeah, that's one of my favorite examples of that, because it's not just, here are all the facts, let me throw them at you. It's like, you know, we start looking at that. Or um, storytelling, right? I have another article that I wrote there on storytelling and how it affects conversion optimization. And instead of doing, and this is one that's so in vogue now that it's ridiculous, but Storytelling, the reason why it works in conversion optimization is because um, you're, when you're immersed in a story, then your mirror neurons in your brain are firing off and your brain can't differentiate yourself between the subject of the story. So if you're talking about, or if you've got this really compelling story that's going on, you get connected and immersed. And then all sorts of different things can be immersive in that experience and, right, right. and go all day. Right. Um, and it's the reason why a good video game is a good video game or a good movie is a good movie. These immersive interactive experiences, they feel good. Right. And then when you buy, it feels natural because that's the story you've been told right, right. as you're going along. So, yeah, this is well, this, this was great. Yeah. Con really content on, depth yeah. and and uh, uh, and how that can lead to further engagement, repeat engagement, I think is a, is a, is a good lesson. And and uh and one that uh, I enjoyed geeking out about here a bit, especially hearing the examples from the case studies uh, in, in Shopify and something that's typically pretty formulaic and, and boring in most companies. So, yeah, thanks for walking us through all this, Tommy, uh, and, and sharing all about how to improve return visitor rate, why it's important. This was, this was great. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.